Yeah. Hey y'all, welcome to RUF. Uh, thanks for sticking around and not piecing out early for SB 2K17. If I were y'all and knew that I was preaching, I would not be here. <laughs> really. Um, before I start, I do want to say it's been such a privilege, uh, really fun also, to be here and to be preaching one last time. Uh, it's really been awesome the past few years just to work with Mississippi State RUF and yeah, I'm just going to miss you all a lot. Um, yeah, as Brian said, uh, fiance Jack and I will be moving to Atlanta afterwards, um, after we get married, end of May, a week after Suco. So everyone sign up for Suco. <laughs> Shameless plug. Um, I'm just saying I asked my future wife out for the first time at Suco. So if you're single, go to Suco. <laughs> And if you're already in a relationship, take it to the next level and go to Suco. It actually is life-changing uh, in more ways than one. So, um, yeah, in Atlanta, Jack is going to go to PT school. I'll be doing seminary and part-time RUF work with Georgia Tech. Um, so I'll probably be playing, like, a lot of chess or something like that. Um, probably less ultimate frisbee. Uh, hopefully just as much cookout, though. They have a lot of cookouts in Atlanta, so... Yeah, we can clap for that. Thanks, Benjamin. <laughs> um, yeah, I've thought before, like, man, RUF at Georgia Tech is going to be so different. Uh, as you all know, it's a highly competitive engineering school. It's not the SEC. It's not quite Starkville. It's in the heart of this huge city. Um, but nerds need the gospel too, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty easy to wrap your mind around, get excited about. You know, same campus ministry. It's a different place. But what if I was going to a, you know, a no-name, underprivileged, after-school program in the rundown part of Atlanta that no one's, I mean, no one wants to be there, uh, with people that don't look like me, people that don't like the things that I like, like chess and cookout, and people that definitely, like for sure, have not even heard about RUF. Would I be so eager to share the gospel with them? I don't, I don't know. Um, but here in Acts 10, Peter has a vision, and we see the gospel is actually for everyone. And this actually makes a huge difference in the way we should live as Christians. So before I read for us, uh, let me pray. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for sustaining us. Thank you so much. That is almost spring break. Um, yeah, we're just really grateful for that. Lord, I pray that... Uh, this spring break could be a time of rest and a time that we could really just have a lot of fun. Um, and Lord, tonight, I pray that you would uh, be way more attractive and way more beautiful after I speak. And um, yeah, this sermon wouldn't be about me. Uh, we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so uh, Walker read for us the first 23 verses. I'm going to read the next like, 24, 25. So. We're in Acts 10. We're going to pick up on your sheets at the beginning of the fourth paragraph. It's 23b, something like that. Here we go. The next day he rose. This is Peter. Peter rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And he talked with him. He went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew 
to associate with or to visit any one of any other nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them, why are you sent for me? Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. Behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all they did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to all the people and to testify that he is the one anointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all those all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing him speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So this is God's word that he gave us because he loves us, and he's bringing broken sinners like us to himself. It's really awesome. Um, so this semester, if you've been with us, uh, Brian's been submitting that um, spiritual conversion begins with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's actually capable of changing our really sinful hearts, um, and that's really good news. And so in Acts, as the church continues to grow in the first century, we see that the Holy Spirit has to be the focal point of the church expansion, but also daily living. So, got a lot going on here. Chapter 10, lots of process. Uh, there's this guy, Cornelius, who we see. Uh, an angel visits him. Peter has a crazy vision. Uh, there's a mini Pentecost of sorts going on. I mean, there's just a lot there. Um, so much so that Luke tells it to us again in Acts chapter 11. And, um, yeah, it has to be important if he mentions it more than once. Um, so first, if you're taking notes or just to follow along, we're going to unpack the meaning of the vision, kind of what's going on with Cornelius, but secondly, the results of the vision. So meaning of the vision, results of the vision, meaning of the vision. Um, first, I'm going to give you a little bit of background, actually, so we can see why this is so revolutionary for those we're trying to understand uh, what the gospel does for us. First, let's check out Cornelius. Who is he? Look at verse 2. 
He's a God-fearer. These were non-Jews who were interested in Judaism and sometimes even attended worship in the synagogues. However, they were reluctant to fully convert by circumcision. They were wannabes of early Jewish life. And yet, you see that God's been working in his life. He's a generous man. He gives a lot to the poor. He prays. Um, yeah, he's someone that we could call a seeker. Someone in who, uh, in whom God is working. But, and we'll see this after the vision is explained, Cornelius wasn't saved because he was a good person. And the angel of the Lord didn't visit him and say, Hey man, like, you're doing great. Uh, you got all the right ingredients for salvation. We'll just, you know, add a little dash of Jesus. Good to go. Uh, that's, yeah, that's not what happened. <laughs> the angel actually says the good things you've done uh, have shown that God isn't working. Absolutely. But that's not enough. You have to be converted by the Spirit. Don't we all want to do that, though? Don't we want to be good enough to merit God's righteousness, His love? Um, don't we all want to be moral enough, you know, read enough devotions per week, uh, pray enough, tithe, uh, I don't know, be the most spiritual one in the room, maybe be like the most mature one in the room. Never really struggled with that one too much. Um, yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, Mr. Fox from Fantastic Mr. Fox, the movie. Uh, when asked by his wife, he's, I mean, he's just in a load of trouble. When asked by his wife how he got his family and why he got his family and friends into such a mess, he says this. I don't know, but I have a possible theory. I think I have this thing where I need everybody to think I'm the greatest. The quote-unquote fantastic Mr. Fox. And if they aren't completely knocked out, dazzled, and kind of intimidated by me, then I don't feel good about myself. Man, isn't that all of us? We want God to look down at us and be impressed with our resumes. I mean, there are plenty of reasons why men were praising this God-fear Cornelius. He was a great guy. Um, And yet Luke points out that it's only by Jesus' righteousness and the work of the Spirit that he can actually be saved. So, Cornelius, this is by an angel. Uh, He's told to get Peter. Meanwhile, Peter has this crazy vision um, while he's praying. So, side note, he's praying and the Spirit shows up. Pretty awesome. Though this vision was pretty unique, it was unique, in redemptive history, uh, yeah, I wouldn't expect everyone here to start having visions. Um, It is kind of cool that the Spirit shows up as a common means of grace when you pray. Um, So let's get to the weird vision. What does it mean? Why is it here? Well, at the time, uh, Jewish people had these Old Testament laws, these Old Testament requirements uh, about certain foods. They kind of run in a self-promoting direction. Um, The laws were originally intended to show the Israelites how serious their sin was, that it separated them from God. But by Peter's time, they become signs that showed who was in and who was out of relationship with God. So you see in verse 11, this huge sheet just comes down. There's tons of animals, reptiles, birds. Uh, God says to Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Like Bacon's actually incredible. You can eat it now. And Peter rejects God and says, like, ah, God, you know I'm above that. Uh, and God says, hold up. For I've made clean, don't you dare call common. 
This happened three times. I don't know if you caught that. But I mean, what if I asked you something three times? Like, what would happen? I mean, if I asked you something like three times in a row, like, what would you think? Like, just say I'm talking and I say something like three times in a row, like, what's going to happen? Like, hopefully you, may, you pay attention, right? <laughs> God knows that Peter's thick head is going to take a lot of help uh, <laughs> for him to get changed. I mean, really, three times. So, I mean, yeah, what God clearly commands of Peter, he actually also commands of us. And he knows we're just as thick-headed as Peter. We're commanded to go out and seek others who aren't like us and share the gospel with them. And now, yeah, I I think at first glance, most people will be like, yeah, that sounds great. Gospel for everyone, right? Um, Yeah, anyone can receive the gospel. But do we really act that way? I know I don't. I'm not even talking about just racially, though that's definitely included with this. Aren't there those people you think, man, they've got to be too far beyond the reach of the gospel? Or at least people that you make zero effort to talk to, or maybe make an effort like, I'm actually not going to talk to that person. That annoying guy in class who has a very outspoken political view that's different than yours. Maybe your random roommate, if you're a freshman, you have no idea who they are, but they just get on your nerves. Uh, Yeah, maybe that girl you've seen leave drunk and leave different guys' apartments the morning afterwards a few times in a row, you're like, man, no way. Like, Her gospel will reach her. When it comes down to it, we want to exclude certain people from God's grace, either because you don't like that person or be at least like really extremely uncomfortable to approach them and share the gospel with them. So the meaning of the vision is that the Holy Spirit is going out to all the nations, and the gospel actually is for everyone. So we see what the vision means, first of all. Now let's see the results of the vision. Our second point. What does this mean for us? First, Peter goes to Cornelius' house and then proceeds to preach the gospel, explaining how through faith in Jesus, people can be forgiven for their sins. And then the Holy Spirit shows up. What does this teach us? First off, the Holy Spirit follows the word of God wherever it gets. Look at verse 44. And while he was saying these things, while Peter was talking about Jesus, the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius and his friends and family. The Holy Spirit is the member of the Trinity who's always diverting attention from himself to Jesus. We see it here with the Gentiles for the first time as the Spirit descends on them just like it did at Pentecost a few chapters ago. As a result, look at verse 46. The Gentiles were praising God and speaking in tongues. Why are both of these things significant? Let's start with praising God. At first glance, this might not seem like a big deal, especially here in the South, in the Bible Belt, and everyone goes to church, like, so what, they're praising God? Well, in the Bible, worship is described as giving the ultimate value to something. So you actually love it and adore it. Even irreligious people are looking for something as their source of meaning and happiness. Everyone works on something. In one sense, it's your spiritual and emotional oxygen. Like without it, you'll just suffocate. So this means you don't control yourself. You're actually controlled by what you worship. And despite our own efforts and willpower, those alone can really never transform transform us. And so this reminds me of Lila Garrity from the TV show Friday Night Lights. 
Um, if you've seen it, season one, she's this popular cheerleader in high school. Dates this awesome quarterback, Jason Street. Um, however, her life really unravels because her parents get a divorce. Um, she sleeps with Jason's best friend, Tim Riggins, who's definitely really hot, though. Um, <laughs> Tim Riggins. But if you know the show, at the beginning of season two, it seems like Lila has gotten her life together after becoming a Christian. She gets involved with this Christian radio show. She's going to prisons. Um, she even gets baptized. Um, but, again, if you've seen the show, by season three, you know that she starts sleeping around with Tim Riggins again and has lost actually all interest in the church. And Tim Riggins' older brother, Billy, says, Lila went to sleep with Jesus and woke up with Tim. So what happened? Why am I telling you this? Well, when, Ly- when Lila had a religious phase, it wasn't about God. It was about her trying to look good after her name was tainted. And kind of like Angela from The Office, she ended up coming across as legalistic and judgmental. You know? There's actually no hard transformation going on. So that means it's possible to do all sorts of religious things and yet never confront the center of your life where you worship. So you're not a Christian until God has really thrilled you. Until the message of the gospel has caused you to find ultimate joy in it and in only. Has that happened to you? Um, So secondly, we have praising. We have uh, another result of the Spirit coming down the Gentiles is speaking in tongues. Um, And as Peter's retelling the story in chapter 11, he says, The Holy Spirit came on them just as he came on us at the beginning. Um... Yeah, what's he talking about? Pentecost. Uh, Like we mentioned earlier, this doesn't mean you have to speak in tongues to be saved. I'm not going to try to speak in... I don't know how to do that. Whatever. Um, But, uh, yeah, there's actually a lot of examples in the New Testament where the Spirit comes down and they don't speak in tongues. So speaking in tongues this time, what's the big deal? Why, Why is it in here? Well, if we think back to Pentecost... Baptism of the Holy Spirit, they opened their mouths and they heard the gospel in their own language. So really, in the most vivid way possible, God is saying, there is no language or culture that is more appropriate to receive my truth than any other. The Spirit is recreating Christianity in every culture. And that's amazing. When Peter walked into Cornelius' house, he says, man, this this is new to me. All my life it's been drilled into my head that I wouldn't eat with a Gentile because you're unclean. I'm only here because of the heavenly messenger. Like, this would have been insane for a Jew to even think about going into a Gentile's house. But God had to tell Peter, you weren't living out the implications of the gospel. If you think you're saved by your resume, you're just not. There's no room for racial superiority in my kingdom. We're all in the same playing field. There's no unclean unclean race. So a result of the Spirit showing up is the gospel going out. And if you turn to Revelation, can do that now. But at the end of Revelation, um, that's where the Spirit's heading. To a time where all tribes and tongues and nations are included in salvation. What a beautiful picture. Talk about results. If that's the direction the Spirit is headed, simply put, inclusion is a big deal. And I don't know. 
don't know how that hits you. Um, I imagine there's at least two different ways this can be played out, though. Uh, on one hand, you're thinking, Matt, like, is, is this really a big deal? Uh, so it doesn't really have anything to do with me. I'm good. Cool story, but like, going to keep on living the same. Um, yeah, what's the big deal about inclusion? I'm happy, like right here. Here's the rub. Peter, who is an apostle, needed to hear this. He needed the Holy Spirit over and over again to communicate. Peter, this is important. You can't ignore this. He said this three different times. He, like he didn't get it. And why? Because he had a hard heart. And why do we need to be reminded? Well, because of the sin in our own hearts. It's actually probably not because you're against people unlike you. But simply not doing evil, so not being exclusive to other people is not enough. God commands the positive. To be active, to be inclusive. Peter, go into Cornelius' house. So we see that pursuing redemption and righteousness is not a passive thing. So there's some of you who think inclusion might not be a big deal. Other, on the other hand, there's a lot of you that agree that, like, yeah, the gospel's for everyone. This is a big deal. But it's honestly very overwhelming. Like, look how daunting this task is. There's so much work to be done. What could I possibly do to help this? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I follow you. I agree with the concept. How do we put this into practice, though? Well, I want to kind of question... Uh, yeah, question ourselves, like, wh- why is it so hard to put it into practice? What makes it so hard for our hearts to live this out? Um, I mean, you see, you see Peter in Galatians 2. Paul actually calls him out. He's eating with, uh, with Gentiles and Jews to show up. And then Peter's like, ah, oh, no, I can't eat them anymore. So Paul calls him out for being a hypocrite. And this is after... Peter like, just gave a great sermon, verses 34 through 43. And after, again, he was confronted three different times. I don't know how many times I can say that in this sermon. But like, Peter, do you get the point? You've already said this and you've, you've gotten it, but you're still struggling. Like you're still, in some sorts, like a racist. Like you're still not eating with Gentiles like you're supposed to be. I think it's hard for us uh, to imagine sharing the gospel with everyone, because one, I mean, that'd just be so uncomfortable. With our heart's idolatry of comfort and control, it's hard to think of times that we'd be willing to make ourselves uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel. I mean, eating a meal with someone you don't know, it can be awkward. I know, like, I'm very awkward. (laughs) Um, But realistically, think, what would it look like to pray for just one friend, like, Lord, show me one person I can befriend who's maybe racially or culturally or economically different than you. I mean, what if half the room brought one friend who wasn't like them? Can you imagine that? The implications of the gospel going out. People receiving the Spirit and coming um, to Jesus. I'd say definitely uh, include making ourselves weak and vulnerable. And kind of goes along with Brian's theme for the semester uh, for Acts, weak and unstoppable. Um, But again, that's a scary place to be. Is it hard? Is it overwhelming? Absolutely. But here's the beauty of it. 
The reason we are commanded to be inclusive is because we serve a God who is incredibly inclusive. We serve a God who became man, who went so far as the cross to bring people unlike him into his family. And when the Spirit enables you to see that, man, it changes you. It's beautiful. It changes you to sacrifice your comfort for the sake of others. So we see this in uh, one of my favorite movies. Um, at least that's what I would have said in high school for all like security questions online. Braveheart, you know, mainly movie, high school, adrenaline, testosterone. Let's yeah. go. Drew knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, so you have this guy, William Wallace. He's gathering up fellow Scotsmen to fight for their independence from England. And so he's trying to persuade these Scottish uh, nobles to oppose and cut ties with the English king in long change and fight for the people of Scotland. Um, but after Wallace confronts the nobles, this guy, Robert the Bruce, comes up to him and says this. But remember, these men have lands, castles, much to risk. I think Robert the Bruce kind of got it. The nobles were going to have to risk losing their land for the sake of others. For all of Scotland, actually. Giving up the comfort they were used to really wouldn't be easy. And they were used to just chillaxing in castles. Who wouldn't want that? But don't we have a lot to risk when it comes to actively pursuing inclusion? Jesus had everything to risk. He gave up the comforts of heaven to live among us and die for us. All so that we could be included. He risked it all for us. Will you start to reach out of your own layers of comfort to love people to Christ? It will only happen by the work of the Spirit. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for loving us. Uh, even when, yeah, most of the times we're really not... Um, pursuing righteousness or seeking holiness um, really unlovable in a lot of ways and yet you pursued us you uh, included us um, and we can have your righteousness because of that and that's awesome um, Lord I pray practically speaking that you would give us um, things to pray about uh, people to pray for people that we can include um, and share the gospel with because um, it is worth it, and it's, it's very hard and probably going to be really awkward. But, Lord, that's what you've commanded us to do. And so I pray that you would give us strength to do that and sustain us. Uh, in your name, amen.